Welcome in everybody to another edition of the Guys Girl Show. My name is Blythe Brumleaf. I am your host here every Monday and Friday previewing and recapping uh, the weekend of sports and entertainment news. We got a lot of stuff to talk about with the Chargers moving, NFL playoffs, Nintendo Switch had their big announcement last night um, with the new console, and um, also Game of Thrones. I've been sort of wrapped up into Game of Thrones for, uh, for, for the better part of the last two weeks. I am officially through season four. I finished season four last night, but on today's show, I'm going to talk about seasons two and three because I've realized in the hustle and bustle of the, the Jaguars and the Coughlin news that I, uh, I did not recap season two on, on uh, this week's or Monday's show. So we'll get into season two and season three of Game of Thrones. I'm hoping um, that I will finish season five by the weekend so I can talk about that on Monday. And then, fingers crossed, I say fingers crossed, it's really up to me um, to watch the final season, but maybe by the earliest next Friday, I should have the entire season done or the entire uh, series done up until, and you know, I'll be current with the rest of you guys. But I'm just going to go ahead and jump into the biggest story of the week is probably the Chargers moving to Los Angeles. They announced this, I think it was late on Wednesday night, and news was breaking like crazy on Thursday. And you, uh, I mean, w- within a few hours, the Chargers announced the move that they were going to LA. They're going to be playing in a small soccer stadium where the, the, the LA Galaxy play. I think it's called StubHub Stadium. It holds about 30,000 people. So they're going to be playing in that stadium. But the reason why they moved is that they couldn't get approval from the taxpayers of San Diego to afford a new stadium. Uh, even though the owner, who was a billion-dollar owner in the Spanos, they could have easily afforded and paid for it themselves, but they chose to leave San Diego and move operations over to L.A. They will be in the same stadium as the Rams, so they'll be co-tenants, kind of like uh, what the Giants and the Jets do, and so they'll just alternate each weekend of playing of who's home and who's away. So, you know, one weekend the Chargers will play at home, then the next week and the Rams will play at home so they'll work out all that scheduling when the new stadium is built in two years I believe um, and then they also within a few hours had a new logo so this stuff has been in the works for for a little while the new logo looks just like the you know it was I don't know if you guys are familiar with with NHL logos but the Tampa Bay Lightning it looks like the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Dodgers had an affair, and that's how they birthed the little Chargers uh, logo. So that's exactly how the logo looks. Um, it's it, it's really really sad too, because on on the other hand, while LA gets another team, which you know, arguably I don't know that they deserve one because. LA is a very finicky market. People that come in there, they are either vacationing or they already have a team affinity, so they're not necessarily going to jump ship from their the team that they already have an affinity to into getting, um, you know, becoming a Chargers or a Rams fan. Uh, some Chargers fans may travel to Los Angeles, but I, I imagine a lot of them feel slighted. I, I there were videos that were surfacing that as soon as the announcement came late, I think on Wednesday night, there was like a, a you know a sixty year old man who's standing out. Out of the front of Qualcomm Stadium where the Chargers used to play, their former home, and he's egging the front door. Then on all day yesterday, you saw pictures of fans that are holding like a, you know, a, a, a bonfire for all their Chargers gear. There's one guy that shows up and he has a, a big bin full of all the Chargers gear that he's bought over, you know, probably the last, what is it, 56 years that they spent in San Diego, this team. So this guy walks up, sort of a middle-aged guy, and he has a bucket full of gear, t-shirts and everything, and he just dumps it right in the middle of the pile, and then later on in the day, they light it on fire. And it's just, it's it's a really, really sad thing, because I know L.A. is not that far from San Diego, but... It, 
for these fans and, and coming from a fan base in, in, in Jacksonville where we were threatened to be the team that, that moves to L.A. For, for I don't know how many years. And then when the ownership change happened, um, a lot of people did fear that initially. But um, since Shad Khan has taken over, he's put millions of his own money into stadium upgrades here in Jacksonville. Um, so that it's, it's very, very, very slim chance that this team will ever move. You can't say never because, I mean, after being 56 years in San Diego, the Chargers have up and decided to leave. And it's just, it's, it's just a sad thing. It's just, it's further proof because you don't think, I, I don't think necessarily that, um, that LA is going to be able to hold a fan market where they're going to actually make money off the fans. I doubt that that's going to happen. But the, in the modern day NFL, the fans are, are, are really an afterthought. They're not really the primary focus, um, anymore as far as, you know, the, I guess a team approach or even a league wide approach. The NFL can sell you, you know, th- these commercials that say football is family. But if there's greener pastures where they can make, you know, a, a, a few million more dollars, which is not really a few more million dollars. Chargers and, and the Spanos are probably going to make you know half a billion dollars with this move after they spend a half a billion. But it could be that he's going to get majority of his money back. But that's that's the that's the new NFL. The new NFL does not care about the fans. They just want to make money. And I, I mean, it's a business, so I I, I I sort of respect it on one end. But I feel so terrible about the fans in St. Louis who just lost their team with the Rams moving and now the Chargers moving. Um, it looks like that Oakland. We'll probably lose the Raiders, but I think that that's actually a brilliant move because they're rumored to be going to Vegas, which could be an incredible away fan destination. Say if you're if if the Jaguars are playing an away game in in against the Raiders and they're playing in Vegas, that's the one away game that I'm going to pick to go to. And I think, you know, if you've listened to the show before, I've talked about how I thought that, or I'm sort of theorizing that with the, some of the moves that the Jaguars have made during the season. Sales-wise, I believe that they cater extru- overwhelmingly cater to away fans, and I, I firmly believe that they're trying to make Jacksonville a destination in Florida for away fans to come and visit their team. And and and, and I don't blame the Jaguars for doing that. I just wish that there was a, a a better way to do it in you know creating certain away team only sections and and not selling opposing team merchandise inside the stadium. I think that still has to be respected. As as, as a home field advantage, but really the Raiders going to Vegas is the only move that excites me. Meanwhile, you have two teams in going to LA in the LA residents, who, the ones who are legitimate sports fans and have you know grown up in LA or spent a significant amount of time there. They've always wanted the Raiders. They, they they didn't want the Chargers or the Rams. It was always the Raiders. So now that the Raiders are the only team not going back there, it sort of leaves a little bit to be desired. If if uh, these two teams are going to be able to draw a crowd. I think they will if they get on a winning streak because it is a finicky market. There's a lot of things to do in LA. It's not like a, it's not like a, a, a I don't want to say Cleveland because everybody harps on Cleveland, but it's not like a Buffalo or a, you know, a Green Bay situation where the only thing that's going on really in the winter months is football. So um, that that's, if you don't win in LA, you're not going to get fans. And, but if the NFL doesn't, if, if they can essentially survive if these teams can survive without having a lot of fans in their in their stands then they're still going to make a lot of money because they make a lot of money on private seat li- licenses and they make a lot of money 
off of uh, TV ad deals. And with this new stadium that's going in LA, it's not just going to be any regular stadium. It's going to be uh, a stadium where the NFL headquarters is going to be moving to. So you're going to have the NFL headquarters there. It's going to be uh, another away fan destination. But I think that the the Raiders away fan destination is much more appealing than, um, th- than an LA stadium. I think it's definitely still worth visiting, but there's the whole package with if you go to Vegas and, and, and the showmanship that, that, that Vegas provides, um, especially to travelers. I think that that's going to be a really cool situation, but it's a, it really, it still really sucks for all the Chargers fans. Like I said earlier, 56 years in San Diego and they just up and move with a new logo. It's like a new hot girlfriend after you, the, the ink is barely dry on the divorce report or, or the, the, the divorce settlement and it's just, Ugh, I just I feel so bad for those fans. I talked to on the Jaguars pregame show. Um, we talked to a, a, a San Diego blogger that was from there, and he was talking about how the move has been anticipated for a while, and it showed during this season with a lot of the fans that are at the games that at, a lot of the fans that were at the San Diego games already were the one or were away fans, and they already felt like they were outnumbered as as you know San Diego fans in general. So. Who knows if the you know the San Diego fans are going to actually travel to watch their team in Los Angeles? But I don't know what I would do in that situation. I what I maybe you guys would follow them as well. I don't know. I I personally, if the Jaguars were to ever leave, I'd probably swear off football for a few years. Um, I would I would be that devastated. I would be that hurt. Um, I don't know that I would burn all of my stuff. I might burn, you know, a, a, the majority of it and keep like one good keepsake. Like this is this is one of my favorite shirts. If you're watching on uh, Periscope right now, this is one of my favorite shirts. It's an old school logo, and I wore it for um, the news that we're going to talk about here in a minute with Tom Coughlin coming back to Jacksonville. Um, but first, before I get into that, I want to get into these head coaching moves that have happened here in um, it, the dominoes have fallen. Fallen, all but one. Uh, the six teams that did have an, an available opening, all five of them have filled that opening, but none of them have filled it with the top names that everybody thought that they would in Mike Smith, Josh McDaniels, and Shanahan. All those three guys are, they don't have, they, they still have jobs as coordinators, but they don't have head coaching jobs. And everyone in Jacksonville wanted to pin Josh McDaniels or Shanahan or Josh McDaniels in Jacksonville, or Mike Smith was the, the, the big favorite with the local media here. Um, but Shanahan was a surefire, you know, coaching hire to go to Denver. Instead, they have hired Vance Joseph, who is the de- defensive coordinator in Miami. Um, he's sort of tasked with handling a lot of those personalities, you know, with the Ndamukong Sue in Miami, um, which they, you know, Miami did a commendable job this year, made the playoffs. It was the first time, I think, in 12 years that they've made the playoffs. Um, so good for them. Good on them that the, you know, Broncos, I guess, got their guy. You got to, you got to be able to trust Denver and that organization because similarly to the Patriots and the Ravens, they have one of the most well-run organizations in the league. So you got to kind of trust that hire. It was a little curious why Shanahan wouldn't go there or why they wouldn't choose Shanahan as their, their target candidate. But one big loss for the Broncos is Wade Phillips, their defensive coordinator. He's leaving to take the defensive coordinator job at the Rams, which 
which is a curious move because the head coach that they decided to hire is 30 years old. Sean McVay, he's a Redskins offensive coordinator. Um, he's hired to bring on, um, he's hired to be the head coach with the Rams. And it's just, it's such a curious move to me because like I was talking about with the Chargers, the Rams are, don't have a stadium yet. They're, they're waiting for the new one in LA to be finished, uh, being finished, being built. And you're going to bring in one of uh, a very inexperienced coach in Sean McVay. He was the offensive coordinator with the Redskins, but John Gruden, who what who is still is the head coach with the Redskins, called all the plays. So I'm not really sure what McVay actually did for that team other than just sort of hold a clipboard on the sideline. But with 30 years old, I don't know what you were doing at 30 years old. I certainly wasn't um, career-wise... You know, I was I was getting there, but I definitely am not um, nowhere near the level of Sean McVay. I don't want to say that, but at 30 years old, that seems very, very young to be able to command an NFL locker room. And it brings me back to Wade Phillips. Wade Phillips might be that guy that can sort of be uh, the, the veteran voice of coaching in that locker room. But I think it's more of a curious move for Wade Phillips because I've said before that whoever gets hired on with the Rams as the head coach, it's it, it's a good job for the time being, but it's going to be a really good job in three years when everybody is fired. Um, and they have the new stadium. They find out whether Jared Goff is going, their first round pick, is going to be the truth as far as the quarterback position is concerned. But I think it's a good move for Wade Phillips because if something happens, and I don't want to say if something happens, but probably when something happens where Sean McVay, it, it, he's the youngest coach in, in NFL history now, um, taking the place of Lane Kiffin, but if he gets fired, which he probably will, because this seems like a disastrous situation with the Rams, who are a terribly run organization, um, that for Wade Phillips, he could probably be the favorite to take over for McVay in a few years if he wants that job. Um, he might be getting a little up there in age, or he, he maybe he, he might not want to to take on another head coaching job. But it just seems very strange to me of why he would leave a well-run organization in the Denver Broncos to take the same position with the Rams if there wasn't uh, a, a long play in in mind. So that, that was a curious move to me. Uh, another head coaching move is Sean McDermott. He's leaving the Carolina Panthers as defensive coordinator, and he's taking the head coaching job with the Bills. That leaves the 49ers as the only available opening, um, which probably that one of the favorites that I mentioned earlier in either Shanahan or McDaniels, one of those guys would likely take that role. Um, it's probably going to be Shanahan, I would think, because uh, the 49ers have a high draft pick. They can probably go out, maybe draft Deshaun Watson, um, who just won a championship with Clemson. So, But I just think it's I, I think it's really funny that the majority of the favorites, or the majority of the media, and Mike Smith, and Josh McDaniels, and Shanahan, everybody had them penned as getting a surefire job, and those three guys are the only ones without a head coaching job right now. Um, so it just proves we all know nothing, that we have no idea what we're doing. We're just, you know, shooting darts at a, a board and we're blindfolded so who knows what's actually you know the dominoes that are going to fall when stuff like this happens but it's certainly an interesting hire um, for for all those involved especially with the Rams but speaking of interesting hires that brings me to Tom Coughlin and Doug Marone which I did I, I talked a, a lot about this on Monday's show but they were officially introduced to as a new leadership team of the fran- of the Jaguars franchise. Um, they had the press conference yesterday down at the stadium. The the press conference, whenever it was sent, the 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 PR email that was sent out, it said that the press conference was going to start at 10 a.m. 
And you could tell that Tom Coughlin already has a stamp on this franchise because that was later changed to 9.55 a.m. Tom Coughlin is, is known as a very strict person when it comes to, uh, to, to, to being late. He's one of those, if you're, if you're on time, you're early. If you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, you're working for Taco Bell. He's one of those guys. Um, so it was, it was a, such a, and I, and I might be, be fangirling a bit because I, I love Tom Coughlin. I was very young or, or not. I was younger in, in, in my football knowledge. I think I was, gosh, I was maybe like 20 years old when, when Coughlin left and, and got fired and then went to coach the Giants. And, uh, but I just remember him being a very stern, um, you know, no shit kind of, take no shit kind of coach. And that's exactly what you saw in the press conference yesterday. And you could tell that there was a couple quotes where he's, you know, somebody was asking about, you know, how soon can this team start winning? Because they, they had the open Q&A and, and, or not open Q&A, but they started off with introducing Tom Coughlin as executive vice president of football operations. Shad Khan spoke for a little bit and then Tom Coughlin took the, took the podium and he starts speaking and he's giving you all these quotes and he's talking about, you know, a 96 year old cello player, uh, the best cello player in the world and they asked him well why do you practice and he says because I want to get better and and you know I can get that much better I can feel myself getting better anyway so he used that quote to to talk about this team and 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 to talk about you know all the the different um coaching or or more of a culture is is what he talked about in his opening remarks and then they introduced Doug Marone and he sort of echoes the same sentiment as Coughlin he has um he's he, he's always seen, and, and Marone mentioned this in, in the press conference, that he's sort of seen Coughlin as his mentor throughout the years. Um, they, they've had a close relationship for, for a very long time. So I think it's sort of that situation where I talked earlier this season, I think it was as far back as October, where I said that Coughlin need, absolutely needs to be brought in because this young Jaguars team, a very young franchise, a very inexperienced NFL owner, and, and we all love Shad Khan here, but he is he's new to this ownership game as far as the NFL teams are concerned, and, and, and building an organizational structure built for success. And Tom Coughlin has an extreme amount of experience in that, and I said, bring in, this is back in October, I said, bring in Tom Coughlin let him be your Pat Riley. Pat Riley was the same uh, situation in Miami where they were a very young, or not very young team, but a younger team with LeBron James and, you know, bring in that veteran leadership that can command the locker room, but let your coach do his job. And if the coach doesn't do his job, then you can step in and you can usher um, or you can lead accordingly. Um, and sort of that's sort of the same situation that I thought the Jaguars were in and that they should have brought Coughlin in. And while I think he interviewed after the season was over as a head coaching candidate, he did not, um, it, it, it's, it hasn't been confirmed or denied that he was interviewed as a head coaching candidate, but then was just recently hired on as the executive VP of football operations. So him and Doug Marone should be working very closely together. Coughlin, even on roster moves, coaching moves, he has the final say. That sort of uh, demotes Dave Caldwell or general manager Dave Caldwell to essentially a scouting role. So he has um, a, less of a, a workload on his plate, which that I, I've heard that from several people that he's just, um, it, it, he, it's sort of like that leadership struggle that once you get put into a position, you want to handle everything yourself and you, you don't necessarily want to delegate out tasks because you're afraid that no one else will do it as, as good of a job as you. But what you find out is that you become 
inundated with monotonous tasks and, and it, and it, it hinders your growth as a, as a professional and it also hinders what the, the goal you're trying to achieve. So I think that this will be actually a great move. I, I don't, I, when the news first dropped, it was Doug Marone is becoming the head coach and it's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and you see that with my periscope that just fell as I banged the desk. That was essentially the, that, that, that's essentially what happened. The Jaguars didn't really control the the press conference as far as that was concerned, or not the press conference, but the press releases. Because what happened is that if you they, they released the Doug Marone news first, so you saw what's called you know famously Jaguars Twitter just lose their shit. And even I was on there, and I'm like, this was not a move for the betterment of the franchise. This was a move to protect the longevity of Dave Caldwell's career, of Doug Marone's career. I was. I, you know, Morale, I, my, my sentiments were that this was a good coach, but nobody wants the stench of a 14 and 48 record. And that's what Gus Bradley had. And Doug Marone was the assistant head coach to that. And he was, and who knows how much of a part he played in it, but he did play a part in it. And so that's, I think, where a lot of the anger came from, from the fan base in regards to hiring Doug Marone. But then shortly after, that's when Tom Coughlin news was dropped. And it's like, okay, now I'm happy again. So I, you, you go through these waves of emotions with this godforsaken team. And they never seem to do anything perfectly but i think that ultimately that this is the this is the move that the the that's best for the franchise right now i don't know if it's going to work out i hope it, it, it and that's the, the biggest thing you, you, nobody knows if it's going to work out but you hope that it's going to work out and the only reason that hope is there is because of tom coughlin because he's been proven a success because he's won two super bowls he has experience building the scouting department and the coaching and and player evaluations he has that veteran I've been there before and commands leadership, commands respect. After his press, co- after he spoke at the press conference, I wanted to run through a brick wall for him. So I'm excited to see how this new team adapts to this veteran voice that isn't going to let them run all over him. That ping pong table in the Jaguars locker room is probably gone. Um, that's going to be probably one of the first things that, that Coughlin does. Um, uh, this reg- not regime, but this, the, the previous coaching staff was seen as too lax, too too player friendly, not wanting to, to put guys in positions to win. Um, and so that should change. All of that should change with Coughlin and Doug Marone taking over the leadership helm. So so I think it's a good thing. Um, and and the most important thing I can say is that it gives the fan base hope. And and that's really what being a sports fan is all about. We go through these. These notions every year, um, you know, maybe this could be our year, or maybe next year is our year, and it, it, there's a very slim chance that it's actually going to happen. That you, as a fan, are going to go to the promised land and win and be able to celebrate a championship. It, it very rarely happens that dynasties exist, like the Patriots and like Alabama. Um, this is, a, but every team is hopeful to get there, and and hopefully. This is another instance where I think this is the seventh year in a row that the Jaguars have technically won the offseason where we have the greatest offseason ever and then reality slaps us in the face whenever the regular season starts. So let's hope 
that's not the case. Um, but it's going to be an exciting time, especially over the next, you know, six months or so with the combine and the draft, um, and, and all that good stuff to see what direction this storm, this team takes, it, it, even in free agency. Um, there's no guarantee that Blake Bortles is the starting quarterback of the future. He's the starting quarterback right now. But if you listen to that press conference, whenever Tom, it, 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 it wasn't necessarily a ringing endorsement, uh, when, when Tom Coughlin was asked about who the quarterback of the football team is, um, he essentially said, Three words, or no, four words. Blake Bortles, well, not five words. Blake Bortles is our starting quarterback, and I'm pretty sure that's like six words, but who's counting? But he said, Blake Bortles is our starting quarterback, and then he just looks off with a dead-ass stare, and it's it felt like the it, it was like, you know, probably ten seconds of silence, but anytime, if you're working radio or in broadcasting, ten seconds of silence, especially in an, in an environment like that, feels like 20 minutes, um, and people are afraid to talk, and um, it, it was just, it, it's, it's cool to see the, the, the culture shift change that drastically simply based off of one hire so it's it's good news for jacksonville um and 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 hopefully good news for the franchise we will see moving forward obviously um Another big story this week is the the college football game that was arguably one of the best college football championship games we've ever seen between Alabama and Clemson. Clemson pulled it out at the end. I think they had two final drives of the, their two final drives was for two touchdowns and like 152 yards. Um, but the bigger news I think is that call it the the ratings for the championship and one of the arguably one of the the best games that we've ever seen. Uh, only 25 million people watch. And to put that in perspective, about 5 million more people watched um, Green Bay and Detroit the, the, the weekend before. Um, yeah, the, uh, like the day before for the NFL. So to, to think that, that 25 million people watched it. And that was just a blip on the radar as far as ratings are concerned. And, and a lot of people are asking, well, why if the game was so great? Well, I think you got to look at regionally. It's it, it, Clemson and Alabama are, very, are two very regional teams. While Clemson has a, a – I mean, Alabama does too, but they've, they've – it's sort of like, I, I, and I don't know what this feels like, but maybe it's like championship fatigue for, for Alabama. I, I mean, only few people know what, what championship fatigue feels like, but they're, they didn't necessarily travel well. The Clemson fans outnumbered them, uh, tremendously live at the game and Trent, and Clemson travels well in, in general. Um, but I think that it's, it sort of speaks to the overall ecosystem of the sports viewing environment. First of all, ESPN, Broadcast ESPN and ABC are the same company, and instead of putting this on network cable, they chose to put it on ESPN, which you're going to get less viewers on on a, a cable channel than you were a traditional channel like a, a local news station. So they didn't put it on on ABC, and then you have the the, the regional factor. So you're only you, you essentially have two East Coast teams, so you're not bringing in the West Coast at all. Uh, the game started incredibly late for the people on the East Coast who probably care the most about this game. It start kickoff was, was after eight. It was a four and a half hour game. It wasn't even halftime, and it was ten p.m. I mean, people people got to go to work. They got to go to school. They they got to put their kids to bed. People aren't staying up that late to watch football. And I know you have these late kickoff times to to accommodate the West Coast, but. Uh, uh, at some point, you have to ask yourself, do you want ratings? Because this is not a situation where you have a, you have two regional teams and you're going to have the show kick off incredibly late. And then you're going to have a, like a 30, 45 minute halftime show with a fucking band. Who gives a shit? Play football. And all these commercial breaks. And, and, and it sort of just goes to show like the... 
the the highlight culture that we live in, and I've talked about this before, um, but it's, it's people want their stuff and they want it quickly, and they don't have time to sit around and wait. They they could have time if they wanted to, but that's a very small amount of people. 25 million people that watch this game. How many of those 25 million watch the entire game? That's more of the question that I have. So if you're interested in in, in switching your, your, your cable providers or all of that, a lot of people have been doing that. And I think that also plays a factor in this and why the ratings were so low. But it also, it's on ESPN, too, for having the arrogance of of thinking that people want to watch college football on New Year's Eve. No, they have shit to do. And then they want to put the game on a Monday night when college football fans traditionally aren't watching games on Monday night. They're watching them on Saturday. So if you were to take that game, move it to Saturday, go head-to-head with the NFL, I think you'd see a dramatic increase in in the amount of people that are watching that game. Because then you're creating an optimal viewing environment. You're putting your games... and on New Year's Eve and thinking that people are going to make their plans around college football? No. You need to make your schedule around the sentiment of the majority of the casual fan. The diehards are going to watch it no matter what day or time that you put it on. But it's the casual fans of where you make the bulk of your money. So accommodate the casual fans and accommodate, you know, not having a game on fucking Monday night that starts at 8.30 and lasts four and a half hours. Then you can talk about, you know, why... Then you can closely, I guess, more analyze if if the ratings are going to increase or disc or decrease. Um, but overall, great game, low ratings, but great game. Um, that was an instant classic, probably the second or third best college football game ever. Um, so before we get into playoff talks, I just wanted to give a really quick shout out to Capitals. Alexander Ovechkin, he scored his thousandth point against the Penguins the other night, and that makes him the second youngest active player to get to a thousand points, only behind 44-year-old Yarmir Yager, who is still playing to this day. Um, he's incredible. He's like a freak of nature. But Alexander Ovechkin, probably, if you're not a big hockey person, um, you will like Ove- Alexander Ovechkin. He's one of the big personalities of the game, um, and he is—he's he, probably my probably my favorite player outside, you know, just just casual fan watching-wise. Alexander Ovechkin is definitely one of the favorites. Um, he puts out a lot of funny commercials, very, you know, this is ESPN or this is SportsCenter type commercials, but funnier. Um, so getting into, that's everything that you might have missed this weekend, so let's jump into uh, the games that are occurring this weekend, which is, this is my favorite weekend of the year as far as football is concerned. It's the divisional round for the playoffs. It, it's when you get the best teams, the best matchups, um, for the majority of the sake. And I, and I say that because the last week's games were shit. I, I, I really only watched one game of the week and that was it. And that was the, the, the Green Bay game. And the rest of the games I spent, I, the rest of the time I spent watching Game of Thrones and just checking the scores on my phone. And I'm glad I did because those games were shitty. Um, but going into the divisional round, that's when you get the really, really good matchups. And it's the best quality football um, of, of the season. So coming up on Saturday, we have Seattle Atlanta. That's a classic case of offense versus defense. You have the number one ranked offense and and Matt Ryan, who's probably going to be MVP with Atlanta, facing off against one of the best defenses that the NFL has ever seen um, with Seattle. Um, Just in recent years, not necessarily this year, um, but Seattle... I don't think they have it this year. I think it's going to be Matt Ryan. I think he's going to take charge of that game. I think they're going to win it pretty easily. And I think also the revenge factor plays a role too because these two teams faced off earlier this season and if it wasn't for... A, a pass interference call that should have been called on Julio Jones. I think Atlanta wins that game against them. But Seattle ended up winning it. They were they were 
beneficiaries of uh, a non-pass interference call on Julio Jones, which was an egregious pass interference call. Uh, the referee wasn't in the proper position to see it. Um, it. I don't know if you guys remember that moment, but that's going to be, uh, I think, in play too. Um, there's also with Atlanta, there's thousands of tickets still available for this playoff game. And this was just a couple days ago, so maybe they, they've sold them since. But there are still thousands of tickets available. And I asked um, I asked one of my girlfriends, who's the, the co-host, uh, co-host with me on Helmets and Heels, and she's from the Atlanta area. I said, why haven't they sold tickets to a playoff game? Do you know how many fans hello, me, would love to go to see their home team in a playoff game. And she sort of attributed it to that a lot of Atlanta fans are, they, they wait until the last minute to buy their tickets. They're not season ticket holders, especially with um, the, the team moving into the Mercedes-Benz Stadium next year. Um, they're playing this game in the Georgia Dome, so a lot of fans have gotten rid of their season tickets and just go down the day of and and pick up tickets. So she said that that was the reason why she thought that a lot of the tickets hadn't um, been sold yet. So that's going to be um, th- that's going to be a good game to watch. One that's going to be a little so-so is Houston at New England. This is they the this game opened up with the largest point spread, or nearly the second largest point spread in NFL history. It opened up at sixteen. The largest point spread in NFL history is 18, and I think that happened like 10 years ago. Um, but this, the line has since gone back down to, or I say gone back down, but it's only by one point. So now it sits at 15. Um, New England and the Texans shut, or New England shut out the Texans earlier this season, like an embarrassing loss, like 28 to nothing or something like that. Um, but this is, a, this is I, I don't think this large point spread, I think that the Texans cover in this game. I don't think that New England beats them by 15 because the Texans have the number one ranked defense in the league. So I think that they're going to show up. I think Clowney's probably going to go ham. Um, but to, uh, Brady is Brady and Belichick is Belichick. You can't ever bet against them. Um, I mean, you can if you want to lose money. But um, yeah, I would definitely still bet on New England. I just wouldn't. I, I would bet on the Texans to cover the spread in that. Um, going on to one of the better games of the week, too, is Pittsburgh at KC. This line has fluctuated as well. It opened up um, with Pittsburgh as plus two, but now it's swung back down to KC. It's in favor of KC at a one and a half. So that's going to be a really, really interesting game to watch. Um, Big Ben is a little banged up, but when, when isn't he banged up? And he still throws for, you know, 350 yards and three touchdowns. Um, so he was in a walking boot after the game last weekend. This weekend, though, he's definitely going to play. Um, it doesn't matter. It's, he's still probably going to throw for, I would say, probably 250 and a couple, maybe a touchdown. Um, but I think Le'Veon Bell is going to get the majority of the carries in this game. Um, so it should be a pretty back and forth. It probably is going to be the best game of the weekend. Um, Andy Reid is famously known for if he's coming off a bye week, he's 16 and two, but he's 16 and two in the regular season and the playoffs, Kansas City. And I know Andy Reid and, and those players there aren't part of this, you know, long record, but besides last year's wild card win, Kansas City has lost eight playoff, eight playoff games over a span of 20 years. And they broke that streak last year with the wild card win. And then they, you know, proceeded to lose in the next round, I believe to new England. Um, but that's, um, that, that's, uh, that's two different streaks 
coming into play here. Um, but I'm still going to bet on Andy Reid. I mean, 16 and two, you've had a couple weeks to plan for this team. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Mike Tomlin. Um, I think he, he runs, um, he runs an organization that isn't completely buttoned up. Um, but on the other side, they're also Pittsburgh is traveling to Kansas City and Kansas City has one of the, one of the true home field advantages in the league. I'd probably say Seattle and Kansas City are definitely the loudest in the league. I don't even know who is a close second or third in that regard. Um, but Le'Veon Bell will probably get the majority of the carries. He'll probably run for 200 and get a, get a touchdown himself. I'm still going to give the edge to Kansas City. I think they went in a close one, 24-21. Um, like I said, right now that spread currently is at uh, one and a half for KC. So moving on to the last game of the weekend, which could be one of the premier games that we will see um, for a very long time. And what you have is a, a veteran quarterback in Aaron Rodgers going against Dak Prescott, the rookie quarterback sensation for Dallas. Um, this is going to be a very interesting game. And this game opened up. It didn't open up, but it, it, I, I don't know what it opened up as. But um, Dallas are currently favorites right now, at four, sitting at four and a half. For this matchup, Aaron Rodgers has won eight, seven straight, but then you have Derek or Dak Prescott, who's won seven straight at home. Um, then, and then you have the incredible run game for Dallas, and I think that that's what gives them the edge in this game. Um, Dallas is projected to win, um, but I think they're going to win a little bit more than what the spread says, and so I take the over with Dallas. Um, I think that they win twenty-seven twenty. And that's only if you, if you like have a gun to my head and force me to pick a winner. Because honestly, I, I think if either of these two teams win, it's going to be great for the league because either you're going to get Dak Prescott and he's going to get a lot of experience with this matchup against, you know, Aaron Rodgers, the veteran quarterback. And he's going to learn this and he's going to take this lesson moving forward because Dallas is going to be back in the playoffs for several years to come with the way that they're built, um, with their, their running game and their offensive line play. They just need to shore up a couple pass rushers, but who doesn't? Um, so, but I, and, and in January football, you have to win these games with a strong run game. And Dallas has that with Ezekiel Elliott. So I think that they're going to pull it off 27 20. And before I get to, and, and if you're new to the show, th- this is sort of what I like to do is I like to, to go over what you missed on Friday's show, what you might have missed during the week, um, the stuff that's coming up during the weekend. And then I like to go into to what I call around the internet because I have a very, um, I spend a lot of time on the internet and I go through a lot of these weird stories. So I'll get into a couple of the weird stories here or one of the weird stories here in just a minute. Um, and then we're going to get into Game of Thrones. So I'll, I'll, I'll end the show with Game of Thrones, but Nintendo Switch. I'm a huge, huge Nintendo fan girl. Um, I've had the, every single platform ever since they, you know, they first came out with the NES. I, except for the NES Classic, which they just released, you know, with the 30 storage games over, you know, the holidays and they couldn't keep them in stock anywhere. I tried, I tried to get one, but now I'm, I'm all, my, my, my focus is towards Nintendo Switch. Um, this is going to be Nintendo's newest platform. It's an HD platform. Their launch title is going to be Zelda Breath of the Wind, I think is what it's called. Um, but it's essentially an HD Zelda and it looks just it, they say breath of the wind and it literally took my breath away uh, but they held their big press con- Nintendo held their big press conference last night in Japan so we didn't catch a lot of this news until early this morning of um, everything that's going to happen and it's going to be a release date of March 3rd, so very, very soon. I think pre-orders have already started. Um, so pre-orders have already started for a March 3rd release. It's going to be $300. Um, and what it is, it's called Nintendo Switch because it's essentially you have a docking station that plugs into your TV, and there's a peripheral within the docking station that you can take out and use it, sort of like a Wii controller, like the, the Wii U controller. It's sort of a big um, like iPad-like device, but it has, the with the, the Nintendo Switch, it has these interlocking controllers 
controllers that hook into the sides of the bigger, I get, I'm just going to call it an iPad. So they, they pretty much have these controllers that hook into what an iPad like device. Um, the iPad like device is, uh, 32 gigabytes of storage, 720p, um, touch screen. Um, and then they have the controllers that hook in on the side. Now these controllers can, link off of the main display and the main display has like a kickstand so it's almost like a portable gaming device and it's also it can hook up into like a home-based console so nintendo is really killing two birds with one stone with this console because you can essentially take this uh, you can take that i guess the peripheral away from the docking station and you can game on the go or you can set it up as a, as a display and the controllers on each side, you can hand off to a friend. You can take one and then they can take one and you both can turn the controllers around and, and, and play like that, like an, an, an old school controller. And I don't want to say an old school, a, a, a classic controller. Um, there's also big news too that Nintendo is going to allow third party developers, which they've never done in the history of the company. So think of, you know, and, and I don't want to put any rumors out there, but I did hear a few games that, were, that have been announced. I think a new Dragon Ball Z game is going to be coming, a bomb. Bomberman is going to be coming. I don't know if any of you guys played Bomberman, but I was a huge Bomberman fan as a kid. Um, loved that game, so I would love to see a new one. I would love to see a new Donkey Kong. That's probably one of my favorite franchises of all time. Um, but there's also going to be a new Mario. A new Mario game is going to be um, launched shortly after. It's like, It looks like Mario 64, but an HD version. And there's there's clips of what looks like Mario, and they showed it in the press conference, um, but there's clips of, like, Mario looking like he's running around in, like, downtown New York. And that is a little, uh, it's a little crazy. It's a little, um, but it's also cool, too. So um, that's really, really big news out of Nintendo. They, they've done it again. They've essentially launched another console with their flagship franchises in Zelda and Mario, and they're going to make me spend another $300 on a console, and I'll gladly do it because those games are that good, and they I think they sort of justify the price. Um, a lot of people, I think, were expecting a $250 price, but $300.50 price tag or a $300 price tag, and you get to be able to game at home or on the go and have the ability to instantly play with other people with the interlocking controllers on the peripheral. I think that that's going to be, um, that, that's going to be a really cool way to, to combat the, I guess, the, the lost art of single player mode and playing, you know, a console at home by, by yourself. You can, you can either do that, you can still play the console at home by yourself, which is what I'm a fan of, or you can take it with your friends taking on a camping trip or whatever i think the battery life on the the peripheral lasts like seven or eight hours so that's actually a pretty good that, that that's a pretty good um playing time and then it also it's going to be charged by a USB-C cord so that's really really good news too so you can bring um you can charge it on the go probably you know road trips just got a lot more fun um so that's going to be cool too and then um i think they're also going to allow for for online storage and online play um, but they're going to announce further details on that, and that's going to be – it's going to have a cost structure associated with it, which, I mean, if you're going to allow people to, to store their, their gaming information to play online, you have to be able to pay for those servers and pay for that hosting cost. Um, so that's why Nintendo is going to be charging for that, but it's a smart charge. So if you wanted that aspect too, um, that will be included in the coming months. I want to talk about this one little weird story, and then I'll get into Game of Thrones. But I found this story yesterday, and it's really, it's pretty funny. A Taiwanese man hired 50 strippers to dance on top of Jeeps for his dad's funeral pr- procession. 
And this story, it's a little, it's, it's funny. If you, I'll include the a link to it in the in the show notes whenever we're done and we're wrapped up here. You can check out guysgirl.com for all any and all show notes for any of our shows that we do. Uh, but a Taiwanese man, he hired 50 strippers to dance on top of a bunch of jeeps, 50 jeeps, obviously, and there it's a funeral procession, so it's going through the streets of Taiwan. And essentially, what happens with these is that. And, and I was reading on Mashable.com, so forgive me if this is not accurate information, but apparently in Asian cultures, the more people that you have at your funeral, the more honor you have going into the, into your next life. So it's not uncommon for, you know, people in China and people in Taiwan to hire strippers to come to a funeral because if you hire strippers, I guess more people come up to pay their respects, rightfully so. Uh, but this son said that his father requested it two days before his death after having a dream. So these strippers came to him in a dream and said, you have to have 50 pole dancers dancing on top of Jeeps um, in order to honor me properly. So the son did what any good son would do, I guess. And he got 50 strippers and they danced on top of the Jeeps as a funeral procession. Um, went through. I mean, I, I, I guess that that, that that's a great um, talk about a happy ending for a bad situation for your pops. So um, good on that son for for doing that. I guess. <laughs> um, so getting into Game of Thrones, and if you guys are sort of new to this, I just started watching this show. I mean, I'm I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. I'm a big Braveheart fan. Um, Braveheart is one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm a big sci-fi person, and people have told me for years you need to watch Game of Thrones. And I've been I. It's one of those things where I'm like I know I know I need to get into it but once the season then once the series has gone on for too long like i feel like i'm just you know sort of lost in the game and it's just a lost cause um but i changed my mind on it recently and then when i changed my mind i say uh, i mean that because i got my parents um password to their hbo account so i said okay now that jaguar season is done i'm gonna get into watching game of thrones finally there's six seasons 10 episodes per season so i sort of budgeted it out that i could watch two episodes a night and get done with the show in about a month. But I started watching and I'm hooked, like incredibly hooked all last weekend. Instead of watching playoff football, except for the exception of one game, I watched Game of Thrones. It was a cold, rainy atmosphere here in Florida. And when I say cold, it's really cold for us, like 50 degrees. And that is really, really cold. Um, And it was also rainy, too. So I'm not going anywhere um, during that weekend. So I sat at home and I finished up seasons two and three over the weekend. Um, And then I've since started season four. I won't talk about season four until Monday. Um, I finished season four actually last night. But um, my goal of watching two episodes a night was exponentially increased because I watched an entire season two on Saturday and then I watched most of season three on Sunday. And um, it's it's such a it really is a great show. My brother told me because he's been a Game of Thrones freak for a while and he's told me for he's been trying to get me in on the show. And so as I reach like pivotal moments in the show, like I'll text him like, what the fuck? When is this dude going to die? Like and he won't tell me much, um, which is a good thing. But one downside, I think, to watching all of these shows um, back to back is that I, I don't want to have spoilers. So I'm not I can't do my normal thing of, you know, when I go see like a new Star Wars movie or something, I can't go and and immediately go to the message boards and start looking up different fan theories because I don't want to get spoilers. So what I have to do is I essentially have to learn and keep up with all these goddamn names. And, and it doesn't help that each freaking character like Khaleesi now has like. 20 different titles before a name like Mother of Dragons and Breaker of Chains and then all this other shit. And, and it's like, how do you remember 
30 words to your own name. How do other people remember 30 words to your own name? But all these motherfuckers got like 10 word names and you got to try to keep up with them. And so that's probably the toughest part I would say about watching Game of Thrones back to back is that I have to learn all of these, these guys names or these, these women's names too. Um, but I, as I watch each episode, I take a couple little notes, like as the episode ends, because normally they end on a very, uh, like crazy way to end it. And so then it makes me want to watch the next episode like immediately. And that's the, that's the situation I've sort of found myself in that, um, that yeah, I've watched um, a lot of it here in about two weeks. I've gotten through four seasons in about two weeks, so I don't know what that says about my social life, but um, I'm enjoying it so far. So I'm just going to run through like a couple of these notes that I took after watching season two. Like uh, the, the main theme is obviously you know power and, and the power struggle throughout these first few seasons. Um, there was a good quote too, like knowledge is power, but power is still power. We got to see um, the Lord of the. Or, I mean, I guess you got to see the Lord of the Light, that redheaded witch woman who has a very strong, um, I call it the power of the P, where she convinces a lot of men to do a lot of things for her. Um, but she has, she births some kind of demon that comes out of her vag and then goes and kills people. I guess that's essentially the Lord of the Light. I don't really know. I haven't really figured that out yet. Um, but then we also see the girl Phasma, who is the big, tall... Um, and I don't even know her real name in the show. I just know her Star Wars name. Um, but Phasma was the, um, the, the, the chromed out stormtrooper in The Force Awakens. Um, I had, I, in, in seeing this, it's kind of cool to see, or watching Game of Thrones, it's kind of cool to see the, some of these sci-fi characters that I didn't really know originated in Game of Thrones to be in all these other different movies. So Phasma is one of those people that's in the different movies. Or, or a different movie. Um, and, and her character name is not Phasma in, in Game of Thrones. It's like, uh, Brie, I think is her name. Um, but yeah, that, she was, it, that was cool to see hers, um, as sort of a little Star Wars, um, connection there. Then there was the dude with like 40 wives and 40 daughters and he's sleeping with all of them. And then the one cute little, you know, fat guy in Sam, he takes away Gilly. I like that cute little relationship. I really don't want them to die, but I've been told that everybody dies in this show. I don't want Sam to die though. Um, then there was a couple like different, in, 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 in watching this show, you also see like the different torture methods and the way that people die and how they, it sort of just gets I don't know, worse or better is the right term, but it gets worse or better each and every episode. And it's, it's, it, there was some kind of torture where like they took a rat and they put him in a bucket and they chained the bucket to the chest and then they lit the bucket on fire so that rat is essentially eating away at the man's chest as a form of torture. So that was that, that was a little fucked up, um, just a tad. Um, but then watching through, all of it, like there were a couple good notes, um, the King of the North and Rob and his new noble lover. And then in season three, they just, oh, that was probably the most heartbreaking thing so far is that you think everything's cool. You think he's going to be like a really good king and good for the future of Winterfell. But then Winterfell's burned to the goddamn ground and his wife is stabbed in the stomach and then his mother's throat is slit and it's, it's supposed to be at a wedding ceremony and everybody dies. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Like, this is supposed to be the future of this country. They would be great leaders and then you're just gonna shit all over it after you just break bread with them. Apparently, my brother tells me that if you invite someone into your home and break bread with them, then that's a sign that you're not going to get murdered. And they 
I guess, shit all over that tradition when they stabbed the wife or the queen in her pregnant stomach and just, oh, that was, that still gives me cringes. Um, a couple of other, I mean, going on to like a little, I guess, good notes, um, Jon Snow is all kinds of fine. Um, I don't know, and I, I've heard I've heard that name over and over again. So I think he lasts a little bit longer. I hope he doesn't get killed because he is um, very very attractive. Um, we got to saw the we got to see the White Walkers. Um, that was a little creepy. There's a lot of um, creepy sci-fi characters in the show that I didn't I didn't really expect. I sort of thought it was going to be more along the lines of Braveheart, um, where it's just, you know, traditional power struggles and battles. But now they got all these crazy creatures that are coming out of the woodworks with a, you know, a, a demon coming out of some chick's vagina and then these white dudes who uh, turn dead people into maniacs. And I just, I don't know where this all comes from. And then you got dragons. The baby dragons are, are growing up and they are becoming a little more hostile and you can't really control them. Um, it was funny, though, because when I ended season two, it ended on, on such a crazy note. And I think it ended with, you got to finally see the White Walkers. And I'm like, dude, I can't stop watching this show now. Like, and do I start season three or do I go do what technically is my job duty and watch NFL football or NFL playoff football? And I said, well, screw that. These games suck anyways. I'm just going to keep watching Game of Thrones. So I started season three literally that night on Saturday night, got a little bit through it. Um, I think on Saturday night, it's tough to keep up with the timeline, but I finished seasons two and three over the weekend. And then when seasons three started, that's when you see, um, the, uh, Lannister son, the oldest one, like the attractive one that's banging his sister. They cut his hand off. That was crazy. Um, and that was one thing that I noticed too, is that in season three, for some reason, watching these all back to back, they, they had like a different music choice whenever the, 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 episode would end in particularly season three and so whenever they chopped the hand off the lannister guy they immediately followed it up that's the 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 episode ended and then they followed up with like this super hype like punk music like yeah like you you want to get hype about a guy getting his hand cut off and it was the sword hand so now he's essentially worthless if he wants to try and fight or kill anybody but then a few episodes later whenever um the ween the the queen gets her belly stabbed i know i i sort of talked about that happening in season two but that actually happened in season three but a few episodes later they, they talk about you know the queen's belly getting stabbed and and all of those you know the 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 stark family dies essentially all of them except for ira and um what is her name starts with an s um but anyways her uh, ira's older sister i i can't pronounce not Cersei. um since i don't know y- you guys probably know that, that that's my thing i can't keep up with these names i can kind of keep up with the names but uh, i'm getting better at it um let's just say that but after they stab the queen's belly and all that good stuff. And the whole family, the, the the wedding was just like a murder fest. Then they end that episode with no music, like just completely silence. So I thought that that was just um, something interesting that I don't know that a lot of you guys have picked up on. And I don't know, I'm having trouble with my periscope here today. Um, but there's, I'm going to just do this show freehand now. But after, I would say... The most shock, not the most shopping thing, because I think that a lot of different, um, especially throughout the, it, obviously there are a lot of boobs in this show, and there's a lot of sex, and there's a lot of um, sexual foreplay, I guess, in this show. Um, but what they don't show a lot of the times is, 
Okay, we're just gonna stop. We're just gonna stop doing the the um, the periscope tripod. But I think with a lot of these shows is that you see a lot of it's 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 a lot of sexual uh, activity, I guess you could say. But what they don't show a lot of is the guy's junk and they don't show any penises. They show like one old guy. I think I complained about this in the last recap is that in the first season, they show like Theon, they show him and it's like, okay, well maybe there is equal opportunity for the women here. And then they show an old dude who's like 80 years old, the priest who I have zero interest in seeing. Um, they show like a shadowy figure of him. And then they show like this other guy who's is being tortured and being dragged behind, uh, a, a wagon essentially and so he's naked in that and that's not that's not an attractive scene um but then you come to theon and the only person that they actually showed a penis and it looks pretty decent so then they go to season three and what do they do they chop it off i was like what the fuck is the only one we've gotten to see and they chop it off they don't show it getting chopped off and then they take it and they send the plaything is what they like to call it they send the plaything um back in a box to his sister and his dad and they don't show it in the box either which curiosity's sake i kind of want to see it i don't know if anybody else is a little sick and twisted like that but i kind of want to see what a chopped off stuff looks like and then later on i think it's uh, the next season though that they they actually um they don't show him they they show theon getting naked but then they don't show what it looks like when it's all cut off a curiosity sick i want to see it I, I i want to see it and i i want to there's a lot of attractive men in the show and you don't get to see any of them but you get to see tons of attractive women. So that's been my biggest gripe so far with this show is that you don't get to see the attractive men, but you see a hell of a lot of attractive women, which I'm not complaining about that either. I would just like a little bit more equal opportunity. Um, so hopefully that improves here in the next few episodes or next few seasons. But I, uh, I, I, I doubt it. But if I do have to put a request in at this moment of where I'm at watching, Jon Snow is definitely first on the list. And then for second, I'd go with Khaleesi's new little, I don't know who he is, but he's a new little brunette, brunette dude that just shows up out of nowhere. And then he gets naked in season four and you still don't get to see anything. So that I, 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 have, I feel like I have a strong gripe. But one little side note that I did want to say is I found out the, 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 the little fat guy, not little fat guy, uh, but he's a bigger fat guy. He's the, he's one of the watchmen. Um, but he, I think I'm saying this stuff right. So sorry if I'm not. Um, but he is the little sweet guy. I think his name is Sam. And he is the one that rescues Gilly and her baby out of the the dude's home with like 40 wives and who, they're all his daughters and, and stuff like that. So he rescues her. And I just sort of thought that um, it was a cool correlation because I did go and do a little bit of, of digging. And I found out that a lot of the inspiration for this show has come from Lord of the Rings, which I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. So I'm really, really pumped about that. Um, but I, I thought I thought it was a cool correlation that the hero in Game of Thrones or one of the heroes in Game of Thrones is named Sam. And then obviously the biggest hero in Lord of the Rings is named Sam as well. So that's a cool little cor- correlation between the two. And um, I'm going to finish up. I finished up season four last night. I'll talk about that on Monday's show. And then hopefully I can talk about um, season five as well on Monday's show after I finish that this weekend. Um, so that's going to do it essentially for us for this for today's show. 
I am going to run into work and I'm going to get this posted up. I'm going to get all this. So if you missed any part of the live stream, you, I'll be able to have this up on podcast here in a couple hours. Um, thanks to our podcast editor, Josh, who always does such a great job. He has all the music in and makes sure that I sound halfway decent. Um, so hopefully he'll be able to edit out the where my Periscope tripod just fell and collapsed a couple times. Um, so hopefully he'll be able to edit that out. If not, oh well, um, y'all live. But if you want to check out anything that you might have missed, I will have this show posted up on guysgirl.com here in a little while, probably a couple hours or so. And then um, you can always check out iTunes or Stitcher or your podcast player of choice. Just search for Guys Girl Shows and you'll be able to find it there. Um, any... Any kind of questions, concerns, if you find out anything cool on the internet that you want me to talk about, that you want me to see, um, definitely hit me up on all the different social media platforms. I'm on all of them. You can either find Guys Girl, which is G-U-Y-S, girl, on you know Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff, Facebook, or you can check out my personal accounts. It's at Blythe Brum, B-L-Y-T-H-E, B-R-U-M. And then, of course, as always, if you just want direct links to all of those profiles, just go straight to guysgirl.com. They're up there in the upper right-hand corner of the website. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for sharing the show. We're gaining a lot of traction. It's um, We got a lot of good stuff planned. Um, had a lot of good conversations this week. Um, getting software, hosting-wise, um, future partnership-wise. I think it's going to actually be a really, really good off-season. Planning a lot of cool stuff in preparation for the next football season because all that stuff starts, starts in January for us. So thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. And I will be back on Monday to talk all NFL action to talk more Game of Thrones and uh, anything else crazy that happens over the weekend. So thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great weekend. Go Jags!